0: Welcome, good morning to everybody, so glad you're here. I want to say a couple things before I get started. First of all, uh, this is for everybody. I know some people would read that passage and just check out, but this is uh, going to be for everybody. Uh, secondly, I'm really going to invite you to, uh, to think, to think hard and to think deeply uh, with, with me this morning. I, I'm going to delve into some things that, that I think are certainly biblical and from the Bible, but uh, also some things that I think might challenge some of your previous thinking or at least some people's uh, previous notions about the church. Uh, 1 Timothy 3 obviously lists qualifications for those who serve as elders and deacons in the church. But to me, that raises the question, How is the local church supposed to be organized? Does the Bible have anything to say about this, or does it even matter? Well, I think it does. Uh, Without some kind of structure, we don't meet together. Uh, If the church doesn't meet, people don't connect or exercise gifts to benefit others. Uh, Without shepherds, people are not cared for, taught, or kept safe. Without teachers, the scripture is not explained and people don't grow. Uh, Without servants in the church, needs are not met. On the other hand, with too much structure or too much reliance upon church organization, the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit can be quenched in the church. The organization was never meant to be a substitute for the power of God. A.W. Tozer said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on, and no one would know the difference. But if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop, and everybody would know the difference. And I, don't, I can't speak for you, but I know I don't want a church that can run by itself or that can run just on people power. Uh, the main things that we want to happen in people's hearts, in your heart, my heart, and in the church are things that only God can do. And that's why one of the things we emphasize is prayer and intercession and going to God for the needs of the church. The, the answer to every need is not to start a new program or create a new position. But the church does need leaders and activities and some organization. The church is a kind of organization, but it is not like any other organization. The church is made up of people who have the Spirit of God living in them. There is something living Powerful, growing at work here, the Spirit of God is in our midst. That reality is the is the very essence of the church, or what the church is to be. Paul said, "You are being built together into a dwelling place for God's Spirit." Uh, Ephesians two twenty two. The church uh, is to express the very life of Jesus. We are the body of Christ. He is the head and the life and the power the nourishment flows from the head through the members of the body to one another and that's how we grow it's a very supernatural thing it's something living dynamic organic human organizations harness human wisdom and human energy to get things done that humans want to happen But the church is watching over something that God created and something God is doing. That is completely different. So Paul said that we are like farmers planting seeds and watering a field. God is the one who gives the life and he is the one who causes the growth. And that's why church leaders are... Shepherds, not CEOs or generals or kings or whatever. And deacons are there to serve, not to control. So someone might ask, why do we even need any church order or leadership? Why do we need order or leadership or structure, whatever, in the church? Uh, Why not just let people get together for coffee and call it good and have a little fellowship in the Spirit? And some people actually do, do think that. They are just done with any kind of organized church. But God not only gave the church his spirit and his gifts, he gave, he gave men to, ex, to uh, oversee the church, and he set up offices for the church. So the church needs elders or shepherds to shepherd the church and deacons to serve the church. And God revealed Those truths, God revealed these truths along with the other great truths of our salvation. So we need to know justification by faith in Romans. We need to know freedom in Christ in Galatians, completeness in Christ in Colossians. We need to to know the gifts of the Spirit in Corinthians, but we also need the structure and leadership of the church found in Timothy and Titus. Yet, the structure that we do find in the New Testament is not highly complex. It's not smothering or domineering. We don't find layers and layers of power and positions. In fact, the only two offices that we do find, at least in the local church, are elders and deacons. So we have the chief shepherd, who is Jesus, and then local church shepherds and servants or deacons. And that is the church, at least as far as structure goes, it's revealed in the New Testament. So the church is a body of people gathered around our Lord Jesus Christ, devoted to one another, shepherded by elders, and served by deacons. Can okay, i going say it once again. The church is a body of people gathered around our Lord Jesus Christ, devoted to one another, shepherded by elders, and served by deacons. And we get a, a glimpse into the New Testament church from uh, Philippians 1.1. I remember the first time I read this verse and how it just confirmed what was in, what I read and saw in Timothy about the church. Paul wrote, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. The church is made up of Saints, but it also includes elders and deacons. And I find it very revealing that that's that's how, when Paul addressed the the church, he addressed them as saints along with the elders and deacons. That was the makeup of the New Testament church. Now, is church structure uh, the most important thing about a church? No, I don't think so. But does it matter? Absolutely. And I think it's important to remember the simplicity of New Testament church structure, especially at a time or in a day when churches are often ran with complex power structures and as many positions as you'll find in a large international corporation. And it's important to follow what the Bible says about what qualifies someone for one of these two church positions. It's important to follow what the Bible says about what qualifies someone for church leadership. Often today, the qualifications the Bible says must be there for elders and deacons are neglected in favor of personal charisma, success in business, popularity, slick communication skills, or just plain being a cool person. I mean, that's what we see in some of these churches. You've got to have a hip pastor. You've got to have a celebrity pastor. The leadership has to be the cool people. And we don't find that at all in the scripture. We find a list of very, really very humble uh, character, godly qualifications that Paul says must be there. Since we're talking about deacons this morning, what happens when deacons are not men of character? Instead of serving the church, they might seek to dictate or dominate to the church. They might misuse the church funds or they might mistreat people or abuse people or neglect needs or they may play one group of people in the church against another group of people and start division all those kind of things can happen when deacons are not men of character as paul spells out here you know the church i grew up in uh, the deacon board ran the church and in my opinion or at least from my perspective they they ran it with an iron fist Uh, i mean there were no elders in my church there was just a single pastor who served under the deacons and if he didn't do what they wanted they fired him and called Somebody else is a pastor. That's really not the kind of church structure that we find in the New Testament. And not to make this about my own personal experience, but mostly I remember, when I think back, I mostly remember deacons in the church I grew up in frowning on the things that the youth wanted to do in the church. But the New Testament says deacons are to be good and Godly, spirit-filled men who lay down their lives in service for the church family. So, why does Paul even give these qualifications for elders and deacons? I mean, I, th- I think when you you come to First Timothy three, you could you could read this chapter and kind of say, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know, people. Uh, should have good character and so forth and just kind of blow right by it and move on. But it seems pretty obvious that there is a reason for Paul addressing these things and why he says elders must be like this and deacons must be like this. It seems pretty obvious that deacons like elders were appointed or recognized in the church. And they had to pass a certain evaluation in order to serve in that capacity. In other words, deacons were a part of New Testament church order. So what are deacons anyway? Uh, The word deacon simply means servant. And really in, in the very word deacon, it tells us pretty much all that we need to know about what deacons are? They serve. Uh, elders shepherd, oversee. Deacons serve. There's no limitation to how they may serve. In Acts 6, which was the passage, the scripture that I, I had Andy read, and uh, it doesn't say that those men, those seven men, that were appointed there were were called deacons. Uh, but many people, many commentators, Bible teachers, feel that that's a either either the first example of deacons are kind of a a prototype of of what deacons were to be like and how they were to serve in Acts 6 men were appointed to help distribute food there was kind of this feeding crisis uh, food crisis food shortage going on and uh, there was some sort of program set up to help uh, distribute pass out pass out food some people were getting neglected and the apostles were getting drawn into this, and they said, hey, this really isn't a good thing for us to spend all of our time with. We need to appoint some men who can who can serve, who can help with, with this. So deacons can really do anything that helps serve the church. They can meet any pressing need within the church, uh, for example, helping with uh, church building, uh, serving the Lord's Supper, pick, picking up supplies, distributing gifts to those with financial needs, and Really just any kind of thing, very small or maybe very big, that the church needs to have done. Uh, From Acts 6, we see that the men were appointed to serve specifically to help bring some kind of relief uh, to the burden that was on the apostles. And so I think by way of application, uh, deacons certainly do anything to help serve the church family, but also they serve in a way that helps free up the the uh, elders, the overseers, the shepherds, to teach, pray, and to shepherd people. So what qualifies someone to, to be a deacon? Well, they are to be men of character, just as elders. Uh, the one notable difference is that elders must be able to teach. Uh, Paul mentions this in 1 Timothy 3 and also in 1 in, uh, excuse me, in Titus nine, which says elders must be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Yet some deacons might also be able to do that in some measure. It's interesting to me that some of the men appointed to serve in Acts 6 actually did also preach the word and proclaim the gospel and some even worked miracles, it says. The men appointed to serve in Acts 6 were to be men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Uh, The emphasis in 1 Timothy 3 is character. Uh, But character should never be understood as simply being a nice person. Character, Christian character, is always the outflow of or the overflow of the inward work of the Holy Spirit in a man's life or a person's life. And it is every bit as important to be filled with the Spirit for any man or woman in the church as it is, for for example, for a man to be a good manager of his his own household or to be faithful in money matters, etc. But nevertheless, there is great wisdom in requiring elders and deacons to be men of high character. Anyone can claim to have a secret or inner spiritual experience or vision or prophecy, and I'm all for that. But these alone don't qualify for office in the church because godly character is the more certain proof that a person is led by the Spirit. So the qualities that Paul lists are things that all believers should pursue. I mean, these, these, are, these are things that uh, apply to all of us, and, and a couple of them certainly more specifically uh, to men, husbands, fathers. But in, in a general sense, this, this uh, appeal or this emphasis on godly character and godly living is something that is really the aim of every single one of us the, the, the thing that every single one of us should be passionate about. The difference here is that some can be more on their way toward those things. El, uh, Paul says elders and deacons must already be fairly consistently exhibiting these things. They're not perfect men, but they're showing these qualities in a consistent manner in their life. So, first, um, Think about these things as we go through them. First, deacons must be dignified. If you remember in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, Paul urged prayer for what reason? So that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Paul's saying deacons must live that way. Uh, They must be well-respected. They must be living in a way that, I that, um, can't think of the right word here, but that calls forth respect from other people as they observe their life. I believe Christians should laugh and know how to have fun. Uh, we should know how to smile and be happy. But we are not flippant, shallow empty people there is something weighty serious about our lives and people should see that and I believe it doesn't say this here but I believe that comes from a reverence for the Lord or a fear of the Lord I think that's what produces this this sense of of being respected the sense of dignity in a person's life you know, instead of the fear of the Lord being a bad thing for you, it's one of the best things for you. It, and, and I think it, it also it adds a sense of dignity and stature to your life that causes you to be respected or dignified as deacons are to be. Secondly, deacons must not be double-tongued. Um, they must be honest, straightforward, sincere, reliable in what they say. You must be able to trust them in what they say. They must not be a person who says one thing to your face and then another behind your back. That You can't be afraid that they're going to put it one way to you and kind of spin it another way to another person. That's just, it's just they, they walk right down the line in what they say seek to be honest not double tongues and it matters to god how we talk all of us it does i mean one of the one of the biggest things that the holy spirit goes to begin begins to work on in your life when you come come to christ is your tongue and one of the things that he works on is teaching you to to speak accurately and without deception and not in any way two-faced about how you talk Third, deacons must not be addicted to much wine. Uh, Simply, they don't don't drink too much. They're self-controlled men. It doesn't say they never touch wine, but if they do, it doesn't in any way dominate or control them or have excessive influence over them at all. Fourth, they must not be greedy for dishonest gain. Uh, No Christian is to be obsessed with making money. I, I didn't say no Christian can make money. No Christian should be obsessed with making money or willing to cut corners to do that. They must not be greedy for dishonest gain. Deacons must have complete integrity in money matters. And it matters to God for all of us how we spend our money or what we do with our money, how we handle our money. Uh, it matters to God how you handle your money, how, how we pay our bills, how we pay people who do work for us. Uh, Deacons cannot be the type of men who who are so eager to hold on to every dollar that they're not generous with others. Fifth, I think, and I'm kind of losing track of my my points. I don't have them written down here, but I think it's fifth. Uh, They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Uh, Deacons must hold to all that has been revealed to us about Jesus. And all the things revealed through the apostles of Jesus. Deacons must hold to the scripture and keep the faith. The, the mystery of the faith in, as it's used in the New Testament simply means the things that were secret or hidden or not fully disclosed under the old covenant but now with Jesus coming into the world and living and dying for our sins and the message of salvation being made clear to his apostles his apostles and written in scripture, now it's been revealed. So it's no longer a mystery, but it's still called the mystery of the faith, the secret things that have been revealed. And deacons must hold to the mystery of the faith. And they must hold to the faith with a good conscience. Uh, They must have a sincere faith. They must not be merely pretending or claiming to believe, but living with a good conscience before God, in in everything they do, in in their in what they believe, what they say they believe, and how they live, they must live with a good conscience before God. Uh, today, we hear sadly of some pastors and worship leaders who professed faith at one time. They they uh, preached for years, some of them, or even wrote some worship, good worship music, but now they're walking away from Christ and. They do that because something was wrong way before the point that they walked away from the Lord. if, if If you read the stories, there's almost always something that was going way wrong way before they denied the faith. It almost always comes out that in some way they have lived against their conscience. And Paul says deacons can't be like that. They must hold to the faith. With a good conscience. You know some, uh, not trying to pick on other churches because uh, hey we have a lot to learn here too but you know it just brought to my mind how some churches, uh, particularly one church that I knew very much about, uh, they, in their worship band they actively recruited great musicians simply and only because of musical skill whether or not they even knew the Lord or we saved. And Paul's saying that can't happen with deacons. Someone might be a really good person, like they might like to help and want to get engaged in serving, but if they do not embrace the mysteries of Christ, the mysteries of the faith, with a clear conscience, they cannot serve as deacons. So it must be clear that they are men of faith, living with a good conscience, and holding fast to these things, not wavering in things regarding to the scripture or sound teaching or their faith in Christ. Next, let them first be tested. Appoint those who have shown faithfulness over time and I think through trials. I mean one of the reasons that you wait to appoint or yeah, to acknowledge or appoint someone is because faithfulness has to be demonstrated over time. And it almost always has to be demonstrated through some kind of hard things. You don't really know what people are like until you see them go through hard stuff. And Paul says, let them first be tested. Don't be too quick or too eager to appoint someone as deacon. Uh, Many people appear to be faithful for a short time. Uh, Paul says, wait till you know for sure. All right, deacons then must be good managers, managers of their own households. And I start with verse 11. Their, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. The word that is translated wives could simply mean uh, women. Women. And it could be that Paul is giving qualifications for women who serve as deacons. I would not rule that out, uh, but it seems from the context that the ESV probably has it right here. If so, Paul is saying the wives of those who hold any position in the church, specifically deacons, the wives of those who hold any position in the church should also be dignified. They should not be known as gossips or slanderers. They should be faithful to the Lord also along with their, their husbands. So I think what Paul is saying here, you know, deacons, those who serve are to be men of high quality and likewise their wives are also to be that way along with their husbands. I have seen situations where a man could perhaps have been appointed a deacon but Uh, his wife uh, could have also been a danger to the church, and it's better not to appoint someone in that situation. So if a deacon is married, he must be faithful to his wife. Josh addressed this last Sunday. He must be a one-woman sort of man. If single, he must be pure in relationships with other women. Uh, Deacons must manage their children and their own households well. Uh, interesting, they must manage their children. And then he kind of opens that up to really to manage their, their own household. They, they must manage the whole thing <laughs> well. Uh, an out, outsider must be able to look at this person and say, you know, he, he does a really good job of looking after his family. His wife should be loved and nourished. Uh, his children uh, should be growing and thriving, not perfect, but growing, thriving, well cared for. They should be disciplined, uh, but not provoked to anger by excessive strictness. He's to be a good manager of his, whole, of his household. Uh, there should be, I, th- I think, this may press my own personal conviction, but there should be a sense of, of happiness and well-being in the home. And one of the things that I, I've always thought about, the ideal Christian home, I really think is described in Psalm 128.3, which says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine flourishing within your house, and your children like olive plants sitting around your table. Uh, that's our goal, men, husbands, fathers, uh, we're to, to, to manage, to tend to our own households well so that our wives are flourishing uh, like a fruitful vine and our children are like these green olive plants sitting around the table, do, doing well. Again, not perfectly, but we're, to be, we're to, to be known as good managers of our homes. And then Paul wraps up verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I don't know if you remember how Paul started out this chapter, but he was appealing to men and he said, uh, You know, if any if one of you desires to be an overseer, what does he say about that? He says, It's a good thing that you desire to do. And I, I think in some way he's, he's communicating that same thing for deacons. Uh, he's saying, Hey, man, those, those who serve well as deacons, it, you gain a, a good standing or a Uh, I think New American Sanders is high standing and a great confidence in the faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul's saying it's a good thing to be a deacon. It has reward and men should aspire to this. Contrary to much thinking today, Paul had a high view of serving as a deacon. And one thing I looking back, I feel like I have failed at and I want to go do better at is to fully communicate to those who we appoint as deacons the, the gravity, the honor and the potential reward for serving well as deacons. You know, in much of our church culture, uh, serving as a deacon has been uh, seen as little more than serving a term on a school board or taking on a part-time job or just kind of a sideline hobby or interest. Uh, It's often seen as no big deal to be a deacon, to serve as a deacon, uh, or to walk away from being a deacon. And I don't think Paul saw the church offices that way at all. Uh, These were weighty positions requiring sober and sacrificial service. And because of that, they had the potential of great reward and honor for those who served well. Now, I don't mean to make that too heavy. I hope you get the perspective that I'm trying to present, but, but Paul does present this as, as an important thing. There's serious qualifications. It has potential of great reward. It's, it, it's something to not be entered into lightly, uh, People have to be tested for it. And so someone who serves as a deacon, it's, it's, it's no, no, no small thing. And I would deeply appreciate the men who serve as deacons in this church family. Amen? So Paul said that those who serve well, bring, it brings a, a high standing, a, a good standing or a high standing or some trans, translations say excellent standing. I think this refers to a future position in the life to come. I think Paul is pointing, looking ahead to high standing uh, in terms of the life to come. Remember Jesus said, well done good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And part of my reason for saying that is most of our rewards will be handed out when the Lord returns. And we can get really mixed up trying to, trying to find all of our rewards right now. And those who serve as deacons or elders, you've got to remember. You've got to remember. The reward comes at the resurrection of the righteous. Yeah. It comes when Christ returns. Peter reminded church elders, he said, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And that's true for deacons. It's actually true for all of us and all, for all of the work and service and labor that we seek to do to please and honor and serve the Lord and, and his people. And then Paul said, serving well as it can also lead to great confidence in the faith. Here's what I think this means. We can devote our lives to things that give us confidence in God. We can devote our lives to things that give us confidence in the faith and confidence before God. John said if we abide in love, we abide in God, and what does he, what does he say will happen if we do that? If we abide in love and abide in God, he says we will have confidence in the day of judgment. That's First John 4, 16 and 17, kind of my paraphrase of it, but nevertheless, that's 1 John 4, 16 and 17. When you and I devote ourselves to things that God wants, that gives us confidence before God. Uh, there's another place in First John where John addresses, says, "You know, little children, abide in Him, so that we do, so that we'll not shrink back the day of His appearing." So we have we have this confidence and faith as as we seek to give our lives over to the things that we know please the Lord. So deacons or any believer who lives in loving service to others will, will have this increased confidence in the faith, confidence before God. So in, in church structure and in qualifications for those who serve, where do we learn where do we go to learn about that we go back to the bible and some people think we go back to the bible for certain aspects of the christian life or certain teachings but we don't have to go back to the bible for other things well i think it's my personal conviction that in church structure and qualifications for those who serve we go back to the bible and just as we do in in all teaching And doctrine uh, that affects us in any way. And there is great wisdom and safety in that. And churches right and left are being shipwrecked for ignoring these things. God's way is always the best way. God's way is the best way for things that are going on in your heart. God's way is the best way for things going on in your homes. God's way is the best way for the church and for things going on in the church. God's way is the best in all things. So I know this has been maybe a little different talk. Um, We've looked at some different things that maybe we don't talk about that much, but I think these are important things. I think these are things that we need to, uh, to search out and study and develop convictions on. And yet my prayer is that through all of this, Uh, God would be dealing with each of our hearts this morning in some way. I am praying that God would be speaking to you, dealing with you, encouraging you, challenging you, helping you, teaching you, maybe giving you new understanding in some way. So if God is dealing with something in your life this morning, something regarding truth or uh, something just in your own manner of life or conscience, uh, let him do that. Let God finish his work. We're not here just to preach sermons or just share, share the word. We're, we're here for God to take that and cause the growth in people's lives, both individually, both in, in, in every individual heart here, including mine, but also to cause us to grow as a church family in understanding these things and loving these things that God has revealed. So let's pray. Let's stand. Father, we honor you as our God. We honor Jesus Christ as our chief shepherd. We honor Jesus Christ as the head of the church.